Hi, I'm Abby Mercado, co-founder and CEO of Rescripted, former VC investor and ever entrepreneur, fierce advocate for women and mom of IVF twins. Welcome to Women's Health Mavericks, a podcast dedicated to shining a light on the people who are moving the needle when it comes to women's health and wellness. From inspiring entrepreneurs and innovators to leaders of big brands defining culture, to movers and shakers of biosciences companies dedicated to treating women, we'll introduce you to the people, the ideas, and the businesses that are changing the face of women's health in America and across the globe. With these change makers on our side, the future of women's health is bright. Now, let's get into it. Good morning, Women's Health Mavericks listeners. Today, I'm so excited to introduce you to Wendy Lund, the Chief Client Officer at Health at WPP. Wendy, an endometriosis sufferer, was drawn to the healthcare industry early in her career when she went to work for Planned Parenthood. Now leading Health at WPP, she since dedicated her career to getting the word out to patients about health and wellness solutions. WPP is the world's largest advertising agency, and Health at WPP is a group of companies that offer solutions for healthcare clients looking to achieve their messaging and reach goals. Women, specifically, are underrecognized for their pain. Our pain is underdiagnosed, underdiscussed, and just plain underwhelming when it comes to treatment. Wendy is an absolute force who can speak to a variety of different women's health issues. And I wanted to get her take on how we shape and disperse better narratives about the female experience outside of the doctor's office, including that of pain. Well, welcome. I have Wendy Lund, who is the Chief Client Officer Health at WPP. Hey, Wendy, thanks so much for joining us this morning. I am so happy to be here today. I love the work you guys are doing, so I'm excited for the conversation. Absolutely. You have been an advocate, an activist, an advisor in the women's health industry for most of your career. So would love to know kind of how you got here, where you are now. Just give us a little bit about your history, Wendy. So it's funny, I like you bring the words of advisor, advocate, activist. I think it kind of started in the opposite direction. Mm-hmm. So in college, I had majored in both history and women's studies, but like we're talking about women's studies during the wild, wild west. It was crazy town. You know, one of the facts I fell into was that women were paid like 55 cents to the dollar. So of course I went like marching all over the place with my sign at graduation. And then I fell right into sort of tabling for Planned Parenthood, right out of college for birth control, different neighborhoods all over New York City. So that's where like kind of more of my activism days. I was like in people's faces. I've definitely had a very strong point of view about a lot of different things as it relates to women. But I really feel like my inflection point was, was becoming the head of marketing at Planned Parenthood, where I had the opportunity to advocate for women on a whole bunch of different women's health issues. You name it, we focused on it, you know, really focusing on our affiliates as well and education, awareness, prevention, treatment, education, as I said. And then through the years when I went into agency side, I got to play a role, I think, of all three, you know, certainly advising companies as we brought products and treatments to market. I probably have worked on every birth control product known to womankind, excited for the future in terms of some of the new stuff happening. So yeah, it's definitely been my passion and, and my love. And I really, really care that 51% of our population is not really getting the kind of medical care that they deserve and need. And so I will keep fighting until there's no reason to fight anymore, which is probably not going to happen in my lifetime. Well, until we're all equal, for sure. How have you seen just being in the earlier days of Planned Parenthood? Just curious, how have you seen the organization change and would love your viewpoint on the good work that Planned Parenthood is doing today? 
Yeah, I mean, it's just an awesome organization and I'm so committed to it even 20 years later after I left the organization as an employee. I think a lot has changed, but a lot has stayed the same. I think when you look at women, they have changed a lot. Women are definitely much more vocal. They see things their way. They want to kind of fight the things their way and expect to see things happen their way. But certainly some of the setbacks we've seen over the past year and even before that have been discouraging and very disappointing and upsetting for many, many, many women, thousands and thousands of women, not just myself. I think the Dobbs decision almost a year ago this day, last Friday, you know, your mm-hmm. Friday, tomorrow, the 24th, was just such a shock to so many women. I had been saying for years that I thought Roe was at risk and I was so devastated that it was. Others things, you know, not too negative, but to go down the path of the fact that so many things in women's health have kind of stayed the same. I'm sure you can see this on the fertility side. We see this on different conditions like endometriosis, PCOS, other areas where things just are starting to progress. And I'm feeling good movement over the last year and a half, two years, but certainly seeing the same sort of issues, lack of treatment, lack of information, lack of awareness that have existed since my days of Planned Parenthood. So definitely need that change. Yeah, I think that as Wendy noted, tomorrow is the one year anniversary of the Dobbs decision, which I remember where I was when I heard the news. Do you remember, Wendy, where you were? I do remember. I absolutely remember. I just remember kind of sitting over the weekend, like crying the entire weekend. And then kind of waking up Monday morning and saying, hundreds of thousands of women are not going to go down on this. And we have to really figure out and I think people are figuring out, led by Planned Parenthood and other great groups, where we go from here. Yeah, it's such a shame, but I kind of share the negativity, but I think in the somewhere in there, I'm optimistic. And we'd love to get into kind of the role of marketing. So you've always worked in marketing throughout your career. Let's talk a little bit about that role, why it's important, why getting the word out is important, and why, you know, telling stories and sharing words in a smart way. We'd love to just hear you talk a little bit about that and how critical it is. So I'm so glad you brought that up. So I'm a self-taught marketer. So I did not have a master's degree in marketing or business. My master's degree is in women's history, which I believe really taught me how to tell stories. Like history is the great storyteller. And so I've applied that for my entire career. I believe words matter. So when I see words on a page, I'm always looking for, are we really telling the story the right way? Are people going to relate to that word? Do they understand what we mean by that word? And I think that's in many ways the central point of marketing, of being a good marketer, which is to really understand who you're talking to and what you're talking to them about, and then telling the story the right way. My career has veered very deeply into communications, as you know, and I spent a lot of my career in communications. I truly, truly love the sport of marketing. I think it is so cool watching people come off of Cannes this week and seeing WPP and the kind of awards we're winning and the kind of business that's being recognized. Dove is one of those campaigns that I just can't get enough of. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this is like my sport. This is my athleticism, like just yeah. competing in the marketing space and understanding how to use different channels and tools and ways of speaking to people. And I think at the end of the day, it's all about people. So like yeah. really figuring out what the mindsets are, the people we're speaking to and what they care about and how to best connect with them and activate them. Yeah, you mentioned can so... You know, Ken was this past week and so much news coming out of the events. And I think certain people have shared certain learnings on LinkedIn and, you know, in, in various conversations that I've had and podcasts that I've listened to. I would love to hear like what were WPP's kind of key takeaways for Ken specifically with regard to health, if possible. 
Well, more to come on this because we're putting together some thoughts and insights that we're going to be sharing more broadly. So I'm going to share them with you when we get them and happy to talk further. I think, you know, for me being working in the healthcare space my whole career, it's the inspiration behind these campaigns. And what I love about working in the healthcare marketing space is just seeing the purpose of what people do and what companies do permeate through everything. We won a goal for Most Beautiful Sound, which was a program we just launched three weeks ago with ASCO, which is the largest cancer organization in the world. And it's all about hearing the sound of cancer cells being destroyed, which has been created for the first time ever. We did the work in the area of breast cancer and lung cancer. And what I love about the fact that it was in breast cancer, going back to women, is that Breast cancer was still the number one cancer killer of women in the world, yet it's very underrecognized and discussed because I think people think, okay, we, we're moving on, we're on to other cancers, and we have to keep focused on that. So winning this award and being recognized for the creativity and the partnership with ASCO, which is such a joy to be able to witness. And I have to say, I sat in the comfort of my living room, just kind of like watching and liking and commenting and hearing what other people had to say. So I'm excited to see the roundups next week when people come back from Canada and get to hear much more about it. And you will be the first person to know some of those insights <laughs> and outcomes. Well, I was happy to see a lot of our healthcare work be recognized that you probably know better than anyone that putting healthcare awards up is very challenging because of so many of the regulations we need to follow. Totally. And love the ingenuity behind so many of the campaigns. One of the ones you'll appreciate I have to tell you about was one in Argentina, done by Gray. And it was all, it was called postponement day. And basically in response to the fact that so many women are postponing their mammograms, they basically called off like breast cancer awareness day and they postponed it and basically used that as a way to get women to go in and get their mammograms. And it won so many awards, both at CAN and at Clio's. It's a great campaign that what I love about CAN and Clio is that a lot of these awards emanate from countries. Last year, there was an amazing campaign that ran out of the Middle East and this year with Argentina. And there was another one in Honduras about emergency contraception. I love this because like we could take this over here in the US and UK and other places and blow these campaigns up. Yeah, I love it. You mentioned something that I want to dig into a little bit more, just how it might be more dim- like healthcare is hard. It's highly regulated. I would love to have you speak to some of the challenges, specifically being a healthcare marketer and helping some of these highly regulated industries like the pharmaceutical industry, just get the word out. What are the challenges there and how have you overcome them at WPP and just in your career? Well, certainly probably one of the biggest challenges is having creative talent be able to embrace and engage with regulatory guidance, right? Because creative people are just so amazing and they've got so many great ideas. And the last thing you want is a creative to basically, you know, say no, 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 no. We want to be able to say yes, 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 yes. So I think that is probably one of the biggest opportunities and challenges that we face in our space. And we've put a huge energy into attracting creatives into the healthcare space. And I'm excited to say we have just the most amazing group of creatives on our specific agencies across our network. I think a lot of it, you know, I think relationships go such a long way in the healthcare space and having the relationships with the people in-house, you know, the regulators, the lawyers, the medical team, of course, our clients, the marketing group, et cetera showing how some of these things have been done a little bit before so we can build on them and make them even better. And being patient is really important. The kind of work we're doing now versus 15, 20 years ago is beyond transformed. And using our learnings from COVID and other types of things where we were like in the thick of healthcare crisis, 
and what we can and can't do to kind of overcome some of these barriers. So I am one of these people that just says, like, never give up. We're going to do this. Let's find a way. Let's be authentic. Authenticity is so critical. So when people start cutting out language and saying, you can't say this, you can't say that, you're like, but this is how people talk, right? Yeah. It's finding ways to kind of get there. And, you know, I have found over the course of my many years that most people have good intent. It's just a matter of figuring out how to get there. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, so I, a, a quick fun one. So you mentioned you have a master's in women's history. I have a bachelor's in history. That was oh, my major cool. in college. Like so birds I, of a feather. Absolutely. And there's just so much magic and telling stories. And that really resonated with me. Who is your favorite woman in history who has been an activist and an activist? There's so many of them. I know, I know. I told you it was a tough one. Who is my favorite woman in history? Who do I think about? I don't know. I mean, there's people like Rosa Parks who come to mind, people that have changed the course of history and course for women. And then there's lesser known people who are just out there fighting the fight for women every single day. I look at people even going back to the Planned Parenthood's roots of Faye Waddleton, who fought so hard before I was there, abortion and, and other areas, people who fought for birth control in the, in the 60s. So there's so many great women out there. Some of them have faces and names and been all these places. And then there's others who are behind the scenes making it happen. Like everyone deserves credit. So I can't like pull one out over the other, but there's so many amazing people. And I think, you know, if I look today at what's happening across the U.S., there's so many influencers. There's so many people that are celebrities who have such an incredible voice too, to help us overcome some of the challenges we face right now. Yeah. Awesome. So I would love to get a little bit personal. So, you know, just kind of going back to creatives on your team and on marketing teams and working at agencies and whatnot. And often people want to pay it forward. Like where I feel like we say that a lot, like at Rescripted, every woman that works at Rescripted has a condition. It's crazy. It's either PCOS or endometriosis or, you know, infertility or something else, heavy menstrual bleeding, whatever it is, somebody has has something going on. We all do, it seems like. And, you know, it seems like in today's working world, you spend so many hours of work and you want to be doing something meaningful. And so we've certainly seen that that on our team and in the women's health industry. And so would love to get personal. And I know that you have endometriosis. So would love to hear about your experience and just having endometriosis and some of the things that you might want to change with your fellow brethren who also have endo. Yeah. So the best day of my life probably was the day my period ended. Besides mm-hmm. when I had my kids, of course, because yeah. endometriosis is really debilitating. Now, I had ended up having an emergency section when I had my first child and the doctor like scraped like every bit of endometriosis out of me. He didn't know I had it. So the joke would used to be like turned my period into a comma because I always thought, and I'm sure a lot of women feel this way when you have endometriosis, that it's normal to feel those kind of cramps. Like you don't have any other context of what other cramps should be. Yeah. So I was always kind of surprised that like my friends were like, oh yeah, I have my period. And I'm fine. I was meanwhile, like doubled over, horrible headache, wanted to just lay in bed, would lay there for like two days. And I would get myself, go to work, you know, blah, blah, blah. I think the worst thing, and I think what's changing right now is this whole idea of suffering in silence. Yeah. I think the fact that you all can talk about the various conditions that exist in the workplace and not feeling embarrassed. I mean, we're starting to see like the surgeons, the surge, I should say, in menopause where women can yeah. Not hide behind the curtain and actually like talk about the fact that they're having hot flashes or just not feeling well or gaining weight. These are things that are so taboo, which is just so shocking to even have to say. So 
I would say those years where it was filled with endometriosis, then I had a child, then it went away, then it kind of grew back. It was sort of just the silence. I was always very embarrassed by it. And I didn't want to be judged by it because of the workplace. And even working in women-centric environments like I was in, you know, I just never wanted to be judged. I think the world is a little different now. Yeah. So that's a good thing to see. Yeah. I know that one in 10 women has endometriosis. And you're right. Like, it's really difficult to describe. And because we have spent so many years not talking about this, people know what your normal is supposed to be. That's what we've seen a lot with our community. They just don't know. And so many people in our community have endo. So we talk a lot about it. And describing that normal is challenging. But I think if we can get women to ask more questions and if we can arm them with the information, we can enable them to advocate for themselves. And I think also this is hopefully going to get better. But, you know, the gaslighting of women in the medical community, like I found when I was complaining about... So I went to Planned Parenthood when I was very young, got my first set of birth control, had these cramps. They said, you probably have endometriosis, but we can't really do anything to diagnose or test without kind of opening you up. So then when I was having my first child, I said this to the doctor I was seeing, and he's like, oh, Planned Parenthood tells everyone that. I was like, oh, well, okay. But these are pretty big cramps. So he dismissed me and dismissed them. And then when we went in and had the section, he was like, oh my God, I cannot believe you you got pregnant. And I, I keep seeing in on the word scraping. I keep going yeah. back to like scraping. The fact that your doctor scraped something in your body, like that right. is shocking. Keep in mind, my son is like just turned 30. So right. like, sure, sure. But the thing that I'm always challenged by is why has this not changed that much? Yeah. You know, why yeah. are we not seeing the kind of progress we made? So I think one of the things I would just love to see is when a woman actually talks about a symptom taking it seriously and doing something, yeah. which I see a lot more nowadays. I think there are certain communities where they're still seeing this gaslighting in a pretty big way. And I still think even like with fertility, right? Questioning yourself, do I have problems? Do I not have problems? Blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like we shouldn't have to question ourselves. One of the beauties of women is we're so instinctual and we're so gut oriented. If you feel in your gut that there's something not right, there's mm-hmm. probably something not right. Totally. We're women. And we have we to know. with that. <laughs> yeah. We know. <laughs> yeah, we yeah. know. Absolutely. Yeah. And I currently have a herniated disc, which is really painful. And I feel like I've been just going through this and trying to find the right doctor and failing at finding the right doctor a few times is like very, really inspired me when it comes to the Women's Health Institute. But the one thing that I would love to see carry over is, I mean, we talk about the pain gap. The doctors who have helped treat my herniated disc have been very focused on the level of pain that I'm experiencing. And I would love to see that in women's health. Yeah. Let's talk more about pain. What is your level of pain? One to 10. Like, let's start quantifying this because it's really difficult to say, okay, I'm doubled over. Like, what is that? Is that 10 out of 10? Okay. If so, let's talk and let's cure her and let's make her feel better. Yeah. Well, that's interesting you say that because last week on the WPP Beach, we did a session led by a number of my colleagues on help on her terms. And a big Mm -hmm. part of that was led by the research that had just come out of CMI. It's CMI is part of WPP and they're the world's largest health media buying company. Mm. So they have constantly have data coming out and they actually pointed to exactly what you're saying, that pain is underdiagnosed, underdiscussed, and just underwhelmed when it comes yeah. to the farm. And, you know, it doesn't help that we've had so many scandals on the treatment side where people just don't know where to turn to for their pain or they're not mm-hmm. even being recognized for their pain. And women specifically are underrecognized for their pain. Yeah. Absolutely. It's true. (laughs) You've experienced, I've experienced it. So kind of 
in sticking with the kind of negative, and of course, we'll, we'll move into a positive, I promise, but would love to hear about you know, the most striking health and wellness statistic that, that you're just really dedicated to fighting. It's by far the Black material health rate in this country. It makes me so sad when I see these statistics come up and hear these stories. We had a on Black material health Awareness Week, we did a lot of work across our agencies. And then right before that, one of our agencies called Tank Worldwide, they're very, very, very creative agency. They did a whole program around a woman who was a doctor. She was an infectious disease doctor, constantly treating her own patients. She had a baby. She wasn't feeling well, went back to the hospital no less than eight times. And she ended up passing away. This was post having a child. And these stories are just not told enough and they're not taken seriously enough. I'm glad to see that, you know, our federal government or our state government are spending more and more time trying to reverse this awful trend. We have the worst maternal mortality rate in the entire world, developed country. I mean, what does that say? It's just ridiculous. And then with the overturn of Roe, we're going to see more maternal health issues and we're going to see more issues around, you know, access to birth control and things along those lines. So this is a really big topic for policymakers to get their arms around and immediately take action on. Yeah, Because there is no, absolutely no need. And if you talk to someone that you have suffered from hemorrhaging or maternal issues, like right after they have babies, and I'm sure you've heard the same thing, Again, they know something's not right and they can't put their finger on it. And they'll be talking with like medical staff in the room saying something doesn't feel right. My body doesn't feel right. And they'll be like likening it to like, oh, that's the way your body feels after you have a baby. And this one woman that I know, she was having a baby at a very, very nice hospital in the South. And she started to feel this way. And her mother was a nurse. And all of a sudden her mother heard her talking like this, said something's not right. And she started to bleed out on the table and her mother saved her life, thank God, because she was a nurse. But what if her mother wasn't there, right? And she had been talking for a couple of hours about how she wasn't feeling right. Yeah. So that is a travesty, this whole maternal, this black maternal health rate in the U.S. And that that has to be turned around. Yeah. You know, the rescripted story, we started with infertility and pregnancy loss. We've since moved to trying to conceive and most recently, we're like broadly women's health. So we're reaching a really exciting Gen Z demographic and we love them. Like they're, they're so excited about, they're obsessed with their health and wellness and they know that women's health is a 360 experience. And so our plan has always been to, okay, we're going to nail the millennial population. We're going to nail the Gen Zs. And then we don't want to leave behind our infertility and pregnancy loss community because they're so loyal to us. And many of us know that it can be triggering to talk about pregnancy with people who have experienced fertility, who are fertility issues, who are currently both right yet, et cetera. And so we've always said to ourselves, like, okay, we're going to bypass this. We're going to go to perimenopause and menopause. Like there's a lot happening in that space. But I think that the stats are just so bleak right now and everything that you described surrounding the maternal health crisis that it truly is enough to make us want to go into pregnancy postpartum. And for a media company like ours, we don't need any more top 10 lists about rollers that we should buy long. We need to actually be talking about preeclampsia, which I had. My co-founder also had a postpartum hemorrhage. So it's, and obviously postpartum depression. We need to actually be talking about women's issues. We all love babies. They're wonderful, beautiful. That's what pregnancy is all about. But how is the woman feeling? Like, what should you be looking out for? Like, there hasn't been a good way to get the word out. It's all about awareness and advocacy. So, yeah. you know, I hope that we can get to a place together as an industry, just building awareness that we can turn the ship around a little bit and really get, and you're right, like getting public health officials involved, of course, is really important. But 
it really is about reaching the consumer and making sure they're educated for us. And I know that you guys are playing a big role in that too. Yeah, totally. I mean, I love what you guys are doing. I love your pivot. It's very well needed. We just did some research, as I mentioned, called Health on Her Terms. And I was just so shocked by the results because it showed that Gen Z women are actually taking worse care of themselves than Gen X and baby boomer women. Yeah. Really? Really really concerning. And what was their report again? It was called Health on Her Terms. Okay, this was what you guys said. Oh my goodness, I need to take a look at this. But I think what was most concerning was sort of where they're getting information. So I think yeah, we all make an assumption yeah. that Gen Z women are getting everything off the internet. Mm-hmm. Like 10% were getting information off the internet yeah. and like socially and through influencers. So yeah. that seems so if we go to the positive, the flip yeah. there yeah. is that for social channels and for influencers specifically, there's a huge opportunity there because yeah. if they can yeah. really approach women like with the right information and being authentic and realistic and telling their stories and saying it's okay to talk about these things. Because, you know, to me, 70% of the problem is stigma. And mm-hmm. like these things shouldn't be stigmatized. If you go outside the U.S., these are not stigmatized issues. Yeah. People laugh when they hear me talk about these things. They're like, seriously, that's the issue? Like, of course we talk about that here. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of work to be done and we should never, ever think that just because women are very savvy online and they're very savvy with their voices, that they're necessarily getting the care that they, yeah, yeah. I don't think we should make those assumptions. Absolutely. I love that's so nuanced and I'm excited to take that offline with you. There's so much to dig into there. Well, so what are you excited about? Like which categories in women's health do you see just making a lot of progress in? Well, I'm very excited about the pill going over the counter in a few weeks. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully. I think that is very exciting. I'm excited. Let's see what else. I'd be, I'll be excited if we start to see some progress on the maternal health side, which we started to see a little bit in terms of helping her. I think we need more investment. Like one of the things that's been exciting to me is seeing some of the people I'm very close with deep into the investment side and working yeah. for biotechs. Like I like the fact that biotechs are now picking up women's health as something that they want to invest in. So breast cancer treatment, like certainly really, really important that women are not only getting really good treatment at the early stages of breast cancer, but also metastatic stages of breast cancer. So there's some good stuff in the pipeline. I'm also looking forward to seeing some more stuff come up in the pipeline. You know, again, 51% of the population, we should be getting a lot more attention in terms of discovery, research and discovery. Yeah. When we were going back and forth about, you know, this, this podcast episode, we talked a little bit about just encouraging clinical trials. Tell us a little bit more about that and some of where kind of you sit in that and if he is involved in any sort of advocacy there. I think the challenge there is that women are still so underrepresented in clinical trials. So mm-hmm. I think the ones that are probably representing women the most are oncology trials, cancer trials, and it's still like a tiny portion of women. So this is an area that could really deeply improve studying women's bodies for women's bodies and what they are at certain conditions and diseases, for sure. And certainly getting things into the pipeline that just impacts women directly. And there's a couple of things out there that are happening and some excitement around that, but I don't think we're seeing progress fast enough in that space. Yeah. We need more investors. We need more people to like dig in and like push hard. Yeah, absolutely. And I love to see more of the corporates investing in this space. I think as a former VC investor myself, like I, I get that, I get what's going on. Like it's a lot of some of the traditional kind of male firms that are mostly men, like that is the VC industry. It's saying, yeah. oh, we don't, we don't understand women's health. They're making kind of like one marquee women's health investment and think, okay, box check, like here we go, on to mm-hmm. the next, do something else. And then you see these 
female founded funds, which are fantastic, but they're often first time funds and they're having to place really safe investments in order to return capital back to their investors in order to raise another fund. And it's just, we're just getting lost in this rat race. And I think that corporates actually play a fantastic role here because they're less strict on the return that they can place bets in the ways that some of these female funds are not able to place. So it's been, it's really great to see that. So. Also, would love to hear what are you reading, watching, and or listening to right now, Wendy, as we get closer to wrapping up. I just feel so pathetic when I answer this question to anyone who asks. <laughs> so I look at TV as definitely, definitely a distraction from my day-to-day, like just yes. not watching anything that makes me kind of think. So you can only guess the kind of television I'm watching. A lot of reality TV, I'm embarrassed to say which is meaningless and empty, but, you know, gives me stuff to talk to my cousin about. She's my sister. So we watch these shows and then we talk about them. She's an attorney, so she's kind of yeah. insane. What is me watching, like, Selling Sunset right oh, now? I love just Selling Sunset. I just finished. Like, I'm, like, pathetic. Like, we had our friends over this weekend and we were watching Netflix and they had seen every single show on Netflix. We were like, what about this? We're going to watch TV together. And then we were like, okay, let's watch the documentary on the people who go to the active volcano in New Zealand on White Beach, which I'm sure nobody has seen except us. Yeah. And of course, then I went to bed like terrified of volcanoes. Of course. I'm like, never- and you're like, I need to, like, why do I need I- to go to bed like this? <laughs> I never watch anything with any level of like substance. I just have to keep watching reality TV. That's um, funny. Books, I was really excited that my daughter is like, now she's in law school and she's reading like all these different books with her friends and I love it. They have this cool virtual like book club that they oh, have. Like they're just adorable. And I was like, can I join? And they were like, no. And I'm kind of watching watch what they read and then following like fast follower. I love that. it. Love it. And then, I want to join. Would you let me? <laughs> only her friends from college are in there, I think. And oh, maybe a couple man. friends that she grew up with. Yeah. <laughs> it's very informal. Like I was like, okay, have a book club. They're like, no, we don't. We're just reading the same book. I was like, okay, no book club. <laughs> Uh, that's it. Like just, that's like my you know, co-founder. Yeah. Whatever my co-founder reads, I just read the same book. Yeah, but, but it's fun. You talk. About yeah, it, right. It's, totally. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's nice uh, when the kids get older and you get back to reading again because it's hard when they're little. So hard. Even if I read, truly, I cannot go to sleep without reading for five minutes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I always strive to read more, but if it's eleven twenty-five p.m. and I know it's like okay, Abby, let and I'm a night owl. I'm like, okay, lights out at, yeah, I'm like, lights out at 1130. I need to read for five minutes or else I can't fall asleep. And on the TV note, I am completely the same way. My coach makes fun of me and she's not allowed to make fun of me. She's like, whatever you need to do to like rest your brain for an hour. Honestly, that's my non-negotiable is I need to watch TV for an hour. I just do. I'm sorry. I'm not going to like I just get up at I, 4 a.m. and run 10 yeah. miles and that's my self-care. My self-care is... I need to watch TV for an hour. It's just so up. funny. Like when I watch a show like Selling Sunset, I've never actually met a woman like this in my life. Like, yeah. you know, these, it's like, so not me, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, where do these women? I mean, are they? <laughs> but yeah, no, same. And you know, it's funny. Before I had children, I was the most avid reader. I was obsessed yeah. with reading books. Yeah, yeah. And then I had my two kids and it's been a long time. And like, I was always like, I got to get back to reading. I got to get back to reading. I got to get back to reading. I just find it so hard. It's like my brain like split off from reading because like I work all day. I'm reading on a screen or reading this or reading that. So that's why TV for me is sort of my godsend at night. I have my iPad. I watch like five minutes of the iPad and then I'm like yeah. passed out. 
Yes. Yeah. You and Amazing. I are like, we're, we're the same. <laughs> it's yeah. true. Well, Wendy, as we're wrapping up, my final question is rescripted. It's a word we made up. Reframe, rewrite history, whatever it is. We call it rescript. So if you had to rescript one thing about women's health in America today, what would it be? Well, I think it's kind of obvious. So I'm going to just obviously <laughs> say it. the one thing that I would rescript is definitely the overturn of Roe v. Wade and yeah. the Dobbs decision. I thought it's so ironic that you and I were having this conversation yeah. a year later. And, you know, this decision turned people's lives upside down, women's lives yeah. upside down. And if you look at things, there's so many facts coming out right now about the way women are going to vote, about OBGYNs going in or out of the profession, of the kind of care women are getting today and how they find physicians. And like the unintended pregnancy rate was already pretty high. It was like hovering around 50%. Now it got a little better over the past year in terms of teens, which is great. So happy to see that. But still, it's right there. So it's all around access to birth control certainly getting women, the hand of women, birth control in the hands of every woman who wants it, no matter what kind of birth control it is, where she is, how much it costs, we got to get it in her hands. You know, we have laws in this country that offer birth control, but at the end of the day, you know, we need to find ways to overcome this. And I don't know that I have all the answers, but I am at the ready to support whatever needs to be done from the individual woman to groups of women to this country in terms of making this right again. So that is my hope for the next year will be that we come back a year from now and we're telling a different story. Yeah, and it's restricted. Yes, I'm fired up now after talking to you. So let's do it. Let's fight for this. Let's fight for us. Let's fight for women everywhere. So well, with that, thank you so much, Wendy, for joining us today. This has been so fun just getting to know you better and hearing what you're doing to advocate and rewrite the story for women in America and worldwide. So thank you again. And I'm sure we'll talk soon. Thank you, Abby. If this podcast means something to you, be sure to hit follow or subscribe. This helps you because you'll never miss an episode. And it helps us because you'll never miss an episode. It's wild enough to be a woman without taking on the wild west of women's health information. The good news is that Rescripted did the legwork on your body so you don't have to. And we're here when you're ready to be an expert in you. Head to Rescripted.com and follow us at Hello Rescripted on Instagram and TikTok. 